Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about an unexpected trip I took to the Walt Disney World Resort. So what happens, my son was coming home from college and he asked me, can we go to Disney? And I'm like, of course we can. So we spent uh, a couple of days up at Disney. Now, I know I had been there about six weeks ago, but decided I, I was ready to go again. You know, always ready to go at a drop of a hat. And it's such an easy drive from South Florida to get up there. I'm like, no problem. We can just go up. So we went up and we spent about two days up there. And I'd like to tell you some stories about some of the things we did, what we saw, and uh, a couple of other tales from along the way. So if you'll sit back and relax, I'll tell you the story. So actually, we actually went up and we only went to Epcot and the Magic Kingdom this time. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But uh, Epcot is like in this continual state of construction. There's so much going on there. It's amazing. The old Communicore West or Innoventions West is pretty much gutted at this point. All you see is a frame that's left. There's really no building anymore. And it's a remarkable thing when you see it. If you see it from the monorail or you kind of peek through a little bit where there's a spit, where there's an ability to look through and you go, wow, that's, uh, that's just pretty amazing. Uh, the amount of thing, the number of things that are going on there. Of course, the fountain is still under construction. All of the leave a legacy plaques are gone now. And, uh, you know, kind of sadly in a way, because people, you know, it's a memory of someone's vacation. So it's kind of interesting when you look around and you realize just how under construction it is. It's really pretty, <laughs> pretty daunting. And you have to kind of cut around barriers just to get to different places around the park, which is kind of incredible in its own right. But um, overall, you know, we had a good time. We uh, got to experience some of the holidays around the world between some of the food uh, stands and so forth, just eating some of the foods that were there. Uh, there's a couple of good dishes. It's kind of nice. They kind of extend the idea of what they do for the Food and Wine Festival and the uh, uh, Festival of the Arts they do in the spring in the Flower and Garden Festival. So they kind of take all of that and they, uh, they do all these different things. And, you know, you have sort of the same kiosk serving different kinds of food. And these are a little bit more holiday themed. Some of them were great. Um, a lot of dessert oriented stuff. So that's always a, I guess it's a plus in a way, you know, if you like a lot of sweet things, um, we only ate a couple of them. We didn't eat much of it, but it was fun. So we're there and we're, uh, kind of enjoying ourselves just wandering around and checking it all out. Got to see some of the shows, the holiday shows from different countries where they were talking about, you know, holiday traditions and so forth. So that's kind of fun to get a little experience from around the world, a little international flavor to it, if you will. Uh, then we went over and we were walking by the Candlelight Processional uh, one evening, and it turned out that Pat Sajak was hosting. Now, we've seen Pat Sajak at that same event uh, previously, but it's always fun to see him. It's, there's just something, there's something iconic about him because he is the host. He's been the host of Wheel of Fortune forever, so you see him on TV. And if you've ever heard him being interviewed or seen him on other things outside of that, he's a really funny guy. So it's just kind of uh, somebody we've followed, our, you know, through, through his career a little bit, um, watching some of his other works. So it was kind of neat to go, hey, that's Pat Sajak up there. Um, so it was kind of kind of fun. Uh, overall, just got to see the things we wanted to see. Rode on Soren a couple of times, of course, because Soren is just such a fun ride. Uh, got to ride on Frozen Ever After because that was that was just so well thought out. It's well themed and it's a lot of fun. It's very upbeat and, and kind of fun. And then got to pick out a couple of other things to do along the way that we wanted to do. I let my son kind of control what we did. I said, okay, you tell me what you want to do and we'll just go and do it. It doesn't really matter. I've been here recently and I'll probably be back again soon. So why don't you pick the things you want to do? So we kind of, I let him guide me through the park. I made some suggestions now and again, maybe influenced a little bit here and there, but overall just let him kind of dictate what we did. So we did get a chance to ride the gondola again. You know, that gondola is moving up in my estimation to be something 
that's even more interesting than I thought it was. It's not the monorail. Monorail is iconic and really interesting and one of my favorite things of all time. But the gondola is pretty cool. And uh, the way it runs and the way it, it moves, I like it. And uh, I like what it does and I like how it, how it came together. Um, so I'm okay with it. And uh, it is more efficient than the buses and it's a little faster than walking, especially when you're going between like Epcot and the studios. It's an easy walk, but it's a little more efficient to just take the, the uh, gondola. The Disney Skyliner, as they call it. Um, so, actually, as we were going along on the gondola, we went through the uh, Riviera Resort. And I realized that that opened recently. So, I wanted to give a couple of thoughts about that. I was doing a little research on it. We didn't have a chance to get out and go see it at all. And I wasn't there for the opening preview, so I kind of missed out on some of that stuff. But I did a little research. And they're really... Uh, it's an interesting-themed uh, hotel. So it's supposed to be the south of France, sort of northern Italy sort of area that they're representing there, so the Riviera. And uh, that's why they call it the Riviera Resort. So it's got this sort of flavor to it that's sort of, you know, sort of northern Mediterranean in a way. And it's kind of interesting. It's, it's well-themed and well-thought-out. The problem with, for me is sort of the price point. They're starting with studio rooms at around $400 a night, and they go up to, I think the top number was about $2,500 a night for a much larger space. And I'm like, wow, that's an expensive proposition. Now they do have, I believe they have some um, vacation club rooms that they set aside too, but primarily it's a hotel if I'm not mistaken. So it's kind of interesting the way they put it together at this point. It's, you know, it's a very luxury hotel in a sense. But one of the funny things is on the smaller rooms, it's a studio room. And what they've done is they have a lot of space for entertaining in there. It's a small, it's a little bit bigger room than your traditional, you know, hotel room. But what they've done is they said, okay, to take the bed away, they have a, fo a fold-out bed that folds into the wall. And that way you can use the space for entertaining during the day or hanging around or whatever. And then at night when you're ready to go to sleep, you just pull the bed out of the wall. Now, it's funny because in the 19, you know, into the 1980s or so, because uh, they were around for a long time before that, they used to call those Murphy beds. And they would be the ones that would retract into the wall and you pull down and they were always derided as being something that was cheap. <laughs> you know, it was, it was sort of this thing about uh, this sort of specter they put on it because you were living in a, maybe a tenement housing or a cheap place to live or something like that that might have a Murphy bed. So if you had a Murphy bed, it was an inexpensive type of thing. It was a sort of a cheap thing. A flea bag motel might have one. So to, <laughs> to have it there at the uh, high-end resort is kind of funny in a way. You know, it's all about perception and the way you present it. You know, oh, it's this luxurious space and it has the bed that hides away. It's a Murphy bed. Come on. It's kind of funny. Um, so it always had that sort of cheesiness uh, aspect to it. But Disney's selling it as being something really good. And I'm sure it is. It's just kind of funny that when you look back in history, uh, they looked at it a little differently. There's also a new restaurant that's opened at the Riviera Resort. It's called uh, Topolino. And uh, Topolino is the name that Mickey Mouse has in Italy. That's what they call him. Topolino. So Mickey, um, this is his place, right? This is, this is something that's his, his restaurant. So they do a character breakfast there, and they do a, a high-end um, signature dining dinner. The character breakfast, as I understand it, is about 40 bucks or so a person. So it's on a par with what you get at Chef Mickey's, and there is a character meet and greet. Mickey and pals do go and meet you there while you're having breakfast, but instead of being a buffet, you get a single-plated item. So you get higher quality food, but perhaps less of it than you might get at a buffet. So trade-off somewhere. Um, the dinner is supposed to be outstandingly good. And as it happens, I ran into somebody who was the family of one of the, of the executive chef. So it was kind of interesting to hear their perspective on the uh, hotel and the 
and especially the restaurant, because they saw it from a perspective of the person who was running it. And it was really kind of interesting. You know, they talked about some of the ins and outs of getting it started and some of the, some of the really cool things that are going on there. And it made me kind of think about it and say, wow, I'm, I am really interested in going there sometime and trying some of the food because they really do, they were so enthused about the whole thing. Of course, being family of the, of the person in charge, they were enthused. But it was kind of interesting to just hear their perspective and how this works and, you know, kind of neat. So I do want to check it out. It sounds like it's really a, an amazing meal. I know they're still trying to iron out the kinks. That's one of the things the family was telling me. They were still trying to iron out kinks. A um, lot of little things still going on, you know, little hiccups along the way. That's always the problem with opening a new restaurant. And they were also telling me that it's already booked up for six months. <laughs> and it's only been open for a very short time. And it's impossible to get a reservation right now. Now, the one thing I will tell you is that they do have a bar. And at the bar, much like in the Contemporary, if you can get a seat at the bar, you ask at the desk... They will seat you at the bar and you can order pretty much the full menu and enjoy it, but you can't have like a party of six sitting there and kind of interacting the same way you'd have dinner. But if you're a party of one or two, you might be able to try it out. So that's probably how I'll do it. That's usually how it works for me when I'm able to do something like that. It, I just find it to be an easier experience that way because it's usually just me. Sometimes somebody's with me, but often it's just me eating there in a restaurant like that. So I'll see if I can uh, make it work on a future trip. So that was pretty cool. It was actually kind of neat to see that and kind of experience a little bit. Of course, we went over to the Magic Kingdom too, as I said. Magic Kingdom has a bit of construction going on, particularly in the front part uh, where, the, where you go into the entrance to the uh, park. There's a lot going on there with um, various construction, various things happening over at the Transportation and Ticket Center. You still have some construction going on where the, uh, the trams come around. Uh, they're still working on some things there, so there's a lot going on. Before I get into the park itself, I will tell you that the walk around the world, where they had the bricks uh, with people's names on them, they have taken probably, I don't know, 80%, 90% of them out now. And in a way, it's kind of sad. You know, you see these bricks that people purchased to have there as the walk around the world, and they've taken them out, and in a lot of cases, they're just stacked in a pile somewhere. They're not neatly stacked. They're not trying to do anything with them. They just sort of put them in a pile, and I, I'm assuming they're going to dispose of them. And it's just, I don't know, in a way it feels kind of sad. It feels like, I know when you brought into it, you only had a you know 10-year guarantee and it's well beyond that now. So that's the way it works. But it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of one of those things you go, aw, you know, kind of sad. I never did find my grandparents' brick there. I believe it was there somewhere, but I never did find it. So uh, now we'll never be able to find it. So just kind of interesting the way that uh, that worked out. Um, they are going to finish the actual walk around the world. So you can actually walk all the way around the um, Seven Seas Lagoon, uh, the same course as the monorail takes, basically. The only space that really wasn't open, not completely anyway, was the space between the Grand Floridian and the Magic Kingdom because there's that uh, waterway that goes off to the side where the uh, electrical, uh, the, uh, what's the, what do they call it? The electrical water pageant is uh, down that way. And that's where they store them. So they didn't have a walkway that went across it, but they're building the walkway across it. So ultimately, you'll be able to walk around the entire world and walk around the, the World Showcase Lagoon. I've tried it a couple of times, and it's funny how you, you kind of end up and you go, oh, I can't get there. Darn it. But anyway, they're working on it. So hopefully that'll be finished in the near future, and you can finish taking the walk around. Um, since I'm on the topic, I'll just say we went over to a couple of the hotels as well, and we checked out some of the holiday decorations they have up. The Gingerbread House in particular in the uh, Grand Floridian Resort is, Resort is always one of those things that's kind of fun to see. You know, you just want to take a bite of it. Um, but it's kind of it's always kind of neat to see how they decorate up the various resorts for the holidays. 
So as, the, as far as the Magic Kingdom goes, yeah, it's always fun to just go in the Magic Kingdom. You know, the, the fun, you know, park that everyone recognizes as being Disney World. We went around and we saw as much as we could there. I think we went on every attraction we wanted to. It was kind of funny. There was one day that we had fast passes for, uh, let's see, we had them for the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh and the, um, it was the, uh, what was it? The Pirates of the Caribbean. And both of those rides at the time we had allotted went down and they were out of service. And what they told us was, you can hope that they come back or you can go ahead and use your fast passes at any other attraction. It's like, really? I can? So you just walk up to the attraction, you tap your fast pass and you can go in. So that was kind of neat. It was actually kind of interesting the way they worked that out. There's no special thing you have to do. You don't have to talk to anyone. You just go somewhere else. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool. So that was kind of neat to be able to just do that. And we did get to ride both of those attractions later. So it worked out just fine. We were able to get a fast pass for them. I think it was the next day for both of them, but it worked out just fine. And we got to go on, like I said, pretty much everything that we wanted to go on. So we had a good time just kind of tooling around and hanging out and having some fun. And one of the things that happened was we were uh, over, I was getting some ice cream at one of the carts and the person in front of me was getting the uh, refillable popcorn, the large refillable popcorn. And the cast member said to her, yeah, you can refill this at any, anywhere there's a kiosk where there's popcorn, any flavor of popcorn you want, uh, you can refill it for your entire, your entire trip, except for over at Galaxy's Edge. You can't refill it there. And all I could think of was, what? I mean, is it because it's such a faraway planet or is it because they have some special popcorn? I just don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting that that worked out that way. And I just had that moment where I was like, why would they not let you refill it there? I think their popcorn is slightly different there. I mean, I know it's like colored or something. They have like blue and red popcorn or whatever. You know, light side, dark side. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. It was just kind of weird. It was kind of bizarre. And that leads me around to talking about Galaxy's Edge. So we had an intention of going over and seeing it and perhaps riding the Rise of the Resistance. Now, the Rise of the Resistance has a very interesting uh, thing that they're doing, and it's a virtual queue. And so what you do is you get in the virtual queue rather than standing in an actual line or getting a fast pass for it. And then they call your time and you go back. You have an hour to get back there to ride the attraction during that, that window that you're there. And they call it a boarding pass. Um, so they get you to come back at a certain time. Now, the problem with getting these particular uh, times and being in the virtual queue is you have to go through the gate of the uh, Hollywood Studios and be inside the gate before you can join the virtual queue. So you want to be there as close to park opening as you can to make sure that you get one of these spots in the virtual queue. So that all sounds terrific, except for the fact that it's so popular right now that Disney has decided to open the park at about 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning. So you can actually get in, walk through the gate, and then reserve your time, and then you can go off and do something else until your time is called. Hey, that's great, except you have to be there at 6.30 going through the gate. And every member of your party has to have gone through the gate. They're doing some geo-positioning things to figure out where you are. So you have to have gone through the gate before they'll uh, let you uh, reserve your time. It's like, wow, we have to be there at 6.30. And then I found out from a friend of mine who was there one or two days later that he actually got there at 5.30 in the morning and was still getting a time that was in the early afternoon. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the people that got there at like 4.30 to 5 are the ones that were getting to ride early crazy, just crazy. So we weren't able to get over there early enough to be able to get it. So I'll have to wait and try and do Rise of the Resistance another time. I think after things settle down a little bit, it'll get a little better. But what they're trying to do, and Disney is pretty smart about this, is they're trying to avoid the long wait times where you're waiting in a queue, in an actual physical queue, 
while you're waiting to ride the attraction. Because that's what happened uh, when they opened the uh, Flight of Passage over in the, um, uh, the uh, Animal Kingdom. You would actually wait in the queue for up to five hours, <laughs> and then you would get to ride the attraction. This is a much better solution to it, where they're able to turn people over faster and let you go do something else. Remember, Disney has always been about how can we get people to be happy and not be standing in line so they're spending money other places, or at least potentially spending money other places, or looking at something, right? So that's always kind of the goal there. How can they move people around a little bit? So that's uh, you know one of those odd things. And I thought it was pretty cool, and I think if I were going to read this correctly, read into this a little bit, I would think that virtual queuing is where Disney is going to go in the long term. Um, fast passes will probably go away or get morphed into something else, where instead of having an actual fast pass or something that they call that, you would be in a virtual queue to go somewhere. Essentially, that's what it already is, but now I think they might modify that a little bit to help move some attractions through and get things going. Something I noticed, and I've observed this and mentioned it a couple of times, the Haunted Mansion in particular. That ride, when I used to go on it before they had Fast Pass, I think the maximum I ever waited ever on the busiest, most crowded day was probably 35 minutes, probably. But now they're putting so many people through on the Fast Pass line that the uh, standby line goes up to 70, 75 minutes sometimes. It's like, wow, you have to wait 75 minutes just to get in the door to ride that attraction. It's just amazing to me because it's a people eater. It does put a lot of people through. It's just amazing that, it take, that the queue winds up taking that much longer when you're in the standby side. Now, most of the time, it's not hard to get a fast pass for it, most of the time. But sometimes you just have to wait it out. Um, we'll, you know, we'll use our own strategies for when the right time is to return and we'll come back by or we'll get there early in the day, whatever it's going to be, uh, to be able to ride the attraction. We, we make it work. But it's always kind of interesting how that works out. So this evolution into sort of virtual queuing may be something interesting. Now, I did want to comment on the rise of the resistance. I actually didn't ride it this time, as I said, but I have watched many videos on it. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone. I don't want to give you any spoilers. If you're interested in just experiencing it for yourself, I'm not going to spoil it. The only thing I'm going to tell you is, as someone who has trouble with a lot of fast motions and a lot of things, most of the ride, so there's a you know, first third, no problem, second third, no problem, last third, mostly it looks like there's no problem. There's just one spot where there's a drop. And I'll just leave it like that. I'll leave it open-ended like that, where I'm not sure I can handle it. I'm not sure. I'm willing to give it a try and see how it goes, and I may never ride it again if it's bad. But I have that moment where I have to stop and think about it. Is it going to work for me? Can I actually ride this attraction? I'll give it a try uh, at some point. But I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure. I just don't know if I can make it or not. But I'll give it a shot. So it's just kind of interesting as I watch it. Now, the theming looks great. Um, the way they do the interactive part of it, the ride vehicles, the whole thing. Very cool. Again, not with, uh, with giving nothing away. Um, I would encourage you to go watch a video of it if you want to see how it works, but it's really pretty cool. The only thing I'm a little concerned about is the actual storyline, and that has more to do with sort of the Star Wars and the episodes 7, 8, and 9 that they've created that I think I'll do another podcast about in the future because there's some interesting things there that they're doing well and some things that I think they could do better. So overall, I would be concerned about the storyline just based on that. So that's kind of my take on it. Um, overall, I think we're, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing with, that they're doing with, you know, this idea of Batu and having this uh, Galaxy's Edge. I think conceptually it's good, but again, I'm still waiting for something else to happen that makes it exceptional. I'm not going to go spend the $200 on a, a lightsaber and I'm not going to go spend the $100 on a droid. 
and I don't really do a lot of shopping, so what's in it for me? That's the question. I will go back again. I'll give it another shot. Uh, next time I go up, I will spend some time there and actually go through it. Maybe I'll take my other son and we'll kind of tour it around a little bit. He's more of a Star Wars geek that way. He just enjoys experiencing new things, so we'll go check it out. I don't know. We'll see how it works out. So that's, you know, that's really my story of the trip and some of the things that I did and having a little fun there. Now, one little side note here. As uh, I was exiting the park one of the times, uh, somebody came up to me and said, hey, will you do a survey? And so I did the survey and they asked, you know, the basic questions, yada, 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 where do you come from? How many days are you here? And what kind of past do you have? That kind of stuff. And they go, can we ask you additional questions online? Sure. So I gave them my email address and um, I got an email a uh, day or two after I got home. And the questions were a little bit more specific about my trip and my experiences and my driving and my going here and my doing that. And, you know, did I use the transportation they have available? Did I visit any other parks outside of Disney? You know, what were, how many days was I there? How, old, how big was my party? And they, <laughs> the funny thing was he had tapped my magic band when he did the survey. So they were able to address and figure out from the app who was in my party. And they asked questions about everybody in my party. It was just my son and I. But they were asking questions about who was in my party and what we did. And it was like, wow, this is kind of, <laughs> it felt a little, I don't know, felt a little in your face in a way. It was great. I was glad they were asking the questions. And my takeaway from it was this is about transportation and transportation needs and some of the things they're doing. You can see that Disney is about to go through a transportation sort of change here, you know, with the gondolas and, you know, perhaps maybe asterisk ordering new monorails, um, you know, trying to get out of the bus business, allowing for more walking, adding more boats, you know, the whole thing about parking and, you know, trying to reduce the number of cars that are there. All of those things figure into all of this. How can they make it more efficient and more effective? So I think they're trying to figure it out and they're just asking guest questions so they can address sort of a general need and figure out how to make it work. And that reminds me, I didn't tell you, uh, I stayed off property this time. And my reason for staying off property was I was there for one night and I looked at the uh, value resorts. And if I'm not mistaken, the value resorts were about 150 a night um, when, I was, when I was planning on going and I'm like 150 a night, okay. Plus tax, plus hotel fees. Um, you know, because there's a there's a hotel tax and then there's a uh, state tax. So those two things couple on there. And then they charge you the $13 a night to park. So overall, that 150 was going to go much closer to 180 than 150. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, 180, okay, that's a little more than I want to spend. And I found a hotel that was just off property. It was a Clarion or something. And it was nice. It was fine. It was no better, no worse than an all-star resort, except it didn't have any theming. And it was, with tax, $68. <laughs> so when I look at it, I go, hmm, 68 versus 180. Hmm, which way is better for me for one night? We basically closed the park down, went and stayed in the hotel, got up in the morning, went back to the park. Didn't really matter to me what the, what the hotel looked like at that point. As long as it was just clean and safe, I didn't care. So, you know, in a sense, you know, Disney's losing out on that. And it kind of goes back to the survey question, the survey questions that they were asking about the value proposition. You know, if, it's, if it is a value proposition, where does, it, where does it break even? Where does that fit in? How does that work? Um, speaking of value, I did see more people than I've ever seen before wearing shirts that said most expensive day ever, which makes me laugh every time I see it. And they're right in a sense. Disney's prices keep going up. The price to stay on property keeps going up. The food cost is high. All of those things get expensive. And if you're traveling with a large family, it gets very expensive. 
you know, you have to economize where you can, where it makes sense. But if you think about your disposable income and the dollars you have, where else could you be spending it having fun for a day, a week, whatever amount of time you're there? If you go to a Broadway show, they're going to cost you a couple hundred bucks to go for a couple of hours, and you've still got to get into Manhattan, you've still got to find a place to stay, you've still got to have transportation, whatever it's going to be, and you're probably going to get lunch or something along the way. So it becomes a very expensive proposition for a couple hours. And that's not to say that those aren't terrific opportunities, that they're not great things to do, because seeing a show is a terrific thing. But, you know, on a, on a comparative basis, is Disney a better value? I would argue it's at least comparable, maybe better. But you have to kind of consider that a little bit when you're thinking about where you want to stay and how you want to use your money. Going to a sporting event, also an expensive proposition. It's, you know, it's expensive to go to these things. To go to an average game, an NBA game, a Major League Baseball game, an NFL game, you know, it's going to cost you 60, 70 bucks a person just to get in the door. And then you've got other expenses from there. So, you know, you have to think about it that way. You know, when you look at the gate price of 125 bucks for a single day ticket for Disney, yeah, on a, on a value basis, that's really not so bad. And if you get a multi-day ticket or buy a package, you may have a better deal. You may be able to work it out a little more efficiently. And you think about that, maybe that's your one vacation for the year, so you save up for it. You know, I know people who do different saving things. They put a special account away. They put a dollar in a jar every time they walk by it. Whatever it is, you have your means of saving up for it so that you can actually go. Maybe you go a little less often. Maybe you don't go once a year. Maybe you go once every year and a half or whatever it's going to be. Maybe the vacation club property is right for you and uh, you decide to use it that way so that you're um, using your money in a different way. So you're being efficient with your money. You know, whatever works for you. But I just find it interesting as I think about it, just how expensive the proposition is and it keeps going up and people are right. It is a more expensive proposition, but Disney keeps raising the bar a little bit on the value they provide and the services they provide. And, you know, they keep meeting their expectations and then going a little bit above and beyond. You know, the little things they were doing, the things they were helping out with. I know I've heard this story several times from people who went to uh, the early days, maybe the first few weeks that Rise of the Resistance was open. And the attraction would go down during the day. You'd already be in the queue. You know, they don't guarantee you anything if you're just in the virtual queue. But once you get in the actual queue, if the ride goes down, they're going to make it right for you. So I had heard tell a couple of times where people said, you know, what they gave me was another fast pass to return another day and another day ticket so that I can come back because they were trying to make happy customers. Now, in the virtual queue, that's a different story. If you don't make it on the virtual queue, they'll try and work with you to get in the virtual queue the next day or something, but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to make it work. It's, there's no guarantees. But they try and meet your expectations, exceed your expectations, do something more every time. You know, I wound up talking to people from the customer experience team a couple of times and overhearing conversations of people talking about things. And it, when you hear people talking about it, you're like, oh, yeah, they're, you know, the customer experience team, the, the group they put together to do that, they really get it. And they're trying to help these guests to have a better experience, which also reminds me one other little detail here. I've noticed the vacation club is starting to get a little bit more of the perks that used to be open to everyone. You know, they're kind of tipping the playing field. A lot of times Florida residents and locals really had the advantages because we knew the parks and we knew what to do. Now they're starting to tip the scales more toward the vacation club. They give them a little bit more extra time in the parks, a little bit more beyond the extra magic hours, a little extra extra uh, in that sense. And you go, oh yeah, look at that. They're giving them some, some little perks and things. And it's kind of interesting. And I've heard in some cases they've been testing out extra fast passes or 
the uh, the queues for the past fast passes. So the number that are available for the vacation club members is a little bit higher than it is to the general public. So even if you get in on the same day, you may have a better chance of getting in if you're a vacation club. Those kinds of things, much more subtle, and uh, it works to their advantage to be a vacation club member, of course, because they're trying to help the people that are spending the most. I get it. It's just kind of funny how they uh, how they work that out sometimes. So I just find it really interesting that Disney is working through this whole thing and trying to figure out how to make the best value and uh, get make people happy. You know, you want people to walk away and be content and go, I had a great trip. And you don't want people going away going, well, it was really expensive and I didn't really feel like I got to do everything I wanted to do and I felt like it was really hot and it was crowded. You're trying to mitigate all of that stuff and make it better. And how do you do that? You continue to evolve these things with virtual queuing. You can't always see the people in the queue, right? You don't, you don't know how many people are in the queue. You just know that there is a virtual queue, right? Even with this, the uh, fast pass, you don't know how many fast passes they distributed. Was it one or was it a thousand? You don't know, but you're, you've got a time and you're gonna go at that time. So that's the way it, uh, it works out. Anyway, so that is just sort of my thought about the whole thing. We had a great time, my son and I. We had so much fun just tooling around and doing a whole lot of, well, basically nothing. Um, just having some fun and meeting characters. We did, oh, by the way, we did get to meet um, two characters I'd never met before, and they were uh, Wreck-It Ralph and Vanellope. They were over in the Imagination Pavilion in Epcot, and we just happened to be walking by, and there they were, so we stopped and talked to them for a minute. My son likes to wear uh, sweatshirts, you know, the, um, the hoodies, and uh, Vanellope, just like Vanellope was wearing, and she saw him wearing it, and she's like, oh my, and she's pointing to him and doing the, you know, pantomime thing about that. It was very cute. And there was a little interactive moment there that I thought was pretty cool. Just sort of one of those random moments in time where you go, that's, that's pretty neat. I like that. So there you go. Anyway, now that'll do it. I think I finally used up all my stories here in my allotment of time. I hope everyone is having a great holiday season. And uh, remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Now it's time for the Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, 
one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 